sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to yet another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, I'm Nate, here with Aaron Porter, uh, chugging along week after week. I want to. I want to start with a question. I okay. want to. I don't know where you're going, but I want to start with a question. <laughs> you sent me some links. Uh huh. A secret part of your life, like I mean, for Pete's sake, you wrote so many secrets in your Samson book. Uh huh. And I find out. Well, I, I guess we did an interview where you found out I did Shakespeare. So I guess there's still things to learn. <laughs> I found out that you wanted to be a songwriter and then you went out, wrote some songs and had a friend record the music and you sang, what the hell's going on here? They're oh, really, yeah. really good, professionally done. Uh, it was so clearly you, great storytelling in the songs. Yeah. What's, what's yeah, going yeah. on? This. Oh, it's it's the fruit of healing. It's the fruit of therapy. I got into therapy, and uh, uh, you know, tapping into the limbic system where creativity lives, and uh, and also dealing with my shame. Because yes, yes, I, you know, I have always secretly harbored an ambition to be a songwriter, uh, but then I moved to Nashville, where I am surrounded by brilliant songwriters. Uh, and, uh, and what I, what I don't want to ever be perceived of is, uh, is, as a wannabe. A grasping right? songwriter. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, um, but I was depriving myself of the joy of, you know, creating something. I am, I'm not a great songwriter. I'm a mediocre songwriter. But, but what I've written is mine. And uh, so anyway, with the encouragement of a therapist, I actually did uh, uh, contacted a good friend of mine, Rex Schnelli, who produces uh, and engineers the uh, Positive Sobriety podcast. He did such a great uh, job. They were so... Yeah. When, well, okay. So when you told me like, yeah, I got some songs that I wrote. Uh, I want to send them to you. My first thought was it was going to be like you on your iPhone, like singing a song. And I was going to offer like, yeah, if I get some time, I'll record some tracks to that. Then yeah. you send them. I'm like, what the hell is going on? These are like, <laughs> this is like amazing tracks. The quality is so great. So with the permission of the artist, I would yeah. like to play one during the break, but I would like to play one that I think is relevant to some upcoming feelings that people have as they enter the holidays and the holidays are not filled with the kind of cheer that shows up in Hallmark movies. Yeah. Tell us yeah. about that song. Well, I wrote that song really, uh, you know, I do the newcomer meeting on Saturdays, the virtual newcomer meeting for the Samson society. And, uh, so week after week after week, I hear stories, you know, I meet guys who in one way or another have crashed their relationship. A lot of these guys are now uh, out of the house. Um, and I, and then, yeah, so uh, along with, uh, you know, the burden of shame, uh, everything that goes along with that is the loneliness of being alone, which is, which has to be amplified during the holidays. And it was, uh, you know, thinking about, those guys in the situation they're in that I imagined this story. So, wow. So you were actually thinking about them when you wrote this story. So tell us yeah, about the yeah. story in the song. Well, you know, it's, it's, a, it's about a guy who's, you know, whose wife is uh, split and uh, everybody else seems to have family on the holidays and he's, he's at home and it's just him and uh, and he looks up, he just see it's him and a moon, him, he and a lonely moon uh, during the holidays. So it's kind of a, what they would call in Nashville, a wrist slitter of a song. This is, uh, <laughs> I haven't heard that, but I don't like that now that I've heard it. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but before we play this song, and I'm excited yeah. for everyone to get to hear you do your thing because it's great. Um, I I think going into this holiday season, just a reminder to our listeners that you're surrounded by people, single moms, single dads. You probably know people uh, within your churches that are dealing with same-sex attraction and have decided to live celibate lives, which Mm -hmm. the evangelical church applauds. However, if they don't live close to family, they're basically saying, "I I I am putting myself in a position to not have this is anybody going to include me or do I just have to go find my own way? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what other kinds of people, uh, there might be college students that don't go home for the holidays. There's, there are a number of people within your worlds that might need an invitation. Right. And yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, married folks who are separated, divorced people, widows and widowers, yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. Widows. Come on. Yeah. Like, like yeah. Jesus doesn't want them included in this. So if our, <laughs> if our holiday celebrations are too sacred as a little family bubble to include those people, mm-hmm. then really, honestly, according to Matthew 25 and many of the scriptures, our family gatherings are too sacred for Jesus himself. Uh, and that's, wow. and that's just not what these days are about. So look around you. Who is around you that needs an invitation and needs to come into your family to be your extended family during a time that might be really hard? Yeah. Yeah. So let's listen to this song before we get to the interview. Let's listen to Nate Larkin, the debut. (laughs) What was, what was the song called? I don't remember the name. Holiday moon. Holiday moon. The debut of Nate Larkin's Holiday Moon. Let's do this. Roll it, Sean. The streets are deserted. I guess all the families are home. The night sky is empty except for a pale yellow Here by my window, I sit with her ring in my hand. I look up and ask that old moon what I can't understand. Holiday moon, hanging so There's food on the table I have 
help but wonder whether she's sleeping alone. Are we together watching this holiday move? Holiday moon Hanging so high Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, you know, I'm an old guy, kind of a little bit out of touch. Um, I'm kind of ashamed to say that I hadn't heard of our guest until I started to pick up on all the chatter that was happening in the Samson Society community about this guy named Andrew Bauman. And then uh, Justin Schwind went ahead and booked him as a guest. And then I got busy and started to look into him. And holy smokes, do I love this guy. Uh, <laughs> he's connected to the Allender Center, like our previous guest. Uh, and, of course, we go way back with Dan Allender. He, uh, he endorsed Samson and the Pirate Monks. We love his work. Uh, but Andrew is also uh, a talented writer and uh, uh, an author, also a therapist, a speaker, Andrew Bauman is with us today. Andrew, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to uh, glad to be with you both. All right. So uh, you are currently currently uh, you're uh, from what I gather you're joining us from North Carolina, someplace in the Eastern Time Zone. But you live out there near the New Jerusalem in Seattle. You know, uh, near the. <laughs> <So> we spent- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we spent 15 years there and just recently moved uh, full-time to North Carolina. But oh, you did? Okay. Well, we're welcome back. Building, yeah, we're building a, a West Coast center as well uh, on Whidbey Island, uh, a counseling center. So oh, we have, wow. So we have an East Coast location for the uh, Christian Counseling Center for Sexual Health and Trauma is what uh-huh. my wife and I run. And then we'll have a, a Whidbey Island location outside of Seattle there. So working on that. Holy so what, what brought you to like, why don't we start just with the story a little bit? I'm always fascinated. Yeah. Brings people to the place that, Hey, I want to start a center for sexual healing and trauma. Yeah. Well, I think I said that wrong. Cause that sounds like you're traumatizing people. I want to make it clear. The guests traumatize them. There you go. Yeah. I mean, like, like all good stories, right. It comes from our own, our own pain and trauma. Right. And so t- about 20 years ago, um, near where I currently live, I ended up in the psychiatric ward, uh, nearly taking my own life. Um, really? That was, that was the beginning of me engaging my story of sexual abuse, of harm, of, of heartache. And that was, uh, yeah, that was the beginning of the story for me to try to find, find my way. And so like, yeah, like, like all good stories, it comes out of my own pain, my own um, both sexual abuse and perpetration of abuse um, a, as a, a recovering abuser. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's how I come to this space. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Did, yeah. Did you immediately find your way to Dan's work in, in telling your story or did you, did you start <laughs> yeah. somewhere else? Yeah, it was pretty pretty early on. I had connected with a, a therapist who became a mentor. Who became, you know, I ended up. Uh, he was a professor of mine. Ended up moving in with him, and he fathered me, kind of into existence. Uh, mm-hmm. my, my young young orphan heart that was living in the woods, flunking out of school. You know, drug, sex, rock and roll, all that stuff. And um, so, finally, found 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 my way. And uh, he had handed me Dan's work, and then uh, that, that was a, a beginning for me to uh, begin to look inside and, and tell and live a different story. Wow. 
I, I just need to ask a, a contextual question. This is one I find myself asking with ever greater frequency as I get older. How old a guy are you? Let's put this in context. Yeah, I am 40 years old. 40 years old and you were already on mission. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Oh, yeah. oh that's beautiful. There you go. Yeah, luckily for, for me, uh, my kind of prodigal moment was late teens, early 20s. And, uh, you know, thankfully, after a few years in the wilderness, um, I was able to begin to redirect. And, yeah, I've been on this journey and, and this work for about 17 years now. Wow. Wow. Now, uh, this is not going to be linear. I want to jump right to where you're at now. And I want Let's you to talk it. about this book that is... I. It is not out yet, but is going to be coming out soon. Uh, no, my newest book is um, that came out is called "How Not to Be an Ass: um, Essays on Becoming a Good and Safe Man." Um, my my book that is coming out in two thousand twenty three is called "The Elephant in the Church." Um, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. and engaging sexism and abuse of women in uh, the Christian Christian community, and so mm-hmm. uh, that's a questionnaire of twenty eight hundred women who've worked in the church in their experience. Wow. Of, of sexism and abuse um, yeah. of working in the church. And so that's the newest project and uh, part of my doctorate, uh, doctorate studies well, as well. Tell me about your ass. <laughs> yes, the ass book. Is, <laughs> the, the ass book is what I like to call it. Uh, basically realizing there, there weren't tons of resources on those, the men like me who developed an edge, right? When you, when mm-hmm. you, when you live a suffering story that you develop an edge to survive. And I don't mm-hmm. want to be an ass. Um, I actually want yeah. to be a better, a better lover, um, a kinder man. And yet there's an edge to me, um, which both serves me um, part of my glory and part of my depravity. Um, and, and so wanting to have an easy accessible book on how do we become good and safe men? How do we become kinder men? Um, and so this is a book for, for Christian men who can be assholes at times. Um, and, and that's kind of how I started is I am, that is me and, and how I'm recovering my journey to become a safer man. Do you, do you find that people realize when other people believe they're assholes? Do assholes <laughs> know they're assholes or do you? Uh, yeah, uh, it, it really depends. I mean, it really depends. Most of the time when they come to me, they've lost it all. Their marriage mm-hmm. is destroyed. They've been caught in pornography. They've been They've lost their ministry, their fam- their wife has left them or put up a firm boundary. And in that moment, they've been filleted enough to humble themselves, to begin to name the hard truth of their assholeness. Mm-hmm. 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 So where do, you, where do you start if you're a run-of-the-mill guy who is just, I mean, being an asshole, uh, I feel like the foundations comes from a combination of insecurity and arrogance, like those two yes. things crashing together. For sure. Uh, so if someone's like, yeah, I'm seeing people kind of pull away from me. I'm having these responses towards people that I, I feel have an edge to it. Where, yes. where does someone even start? What What is your book bringing them for practicality to remove themselves, to extricate the asshole? Yes, yes. Well, well it's, it's no less than your own death. Do you want to bleed? Do you want to suffer? Do you want to crucify yourself into resurrection? And that's the invitation, right? And it hurts mm-hmm. like hell. And then you pay me a lot of money to do that. And yet it's, it's so painful. And yet you cannot taste the goodness of new life until you've suffered, um, until yeah. you've allowed yourself to bleed. And, and so that's the invitation. Will, cause the, the, the owning of your assholeness does not lead to toxic shame, right? I'm not interested in shaming people. Um, right. it leads to humility, not humiliation. And yeah, that's yeah, the goal. Yeah. Can we become humble, um, humble men who can lead out of that deep, deep centered strength um, rather than humiliation and shame, which helps no one? I got to tell you, Andrew, I come to this conversation <clears throat> as a recovering covert asshole. Yes. This was one of Allie's great dilemmas, my wife, Allie. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> to all my, you know, the people who are in my congregation when I was active in ministry, to all my friends when I was a very active lay person in the church, to all the people in our social circle, I was the greatest guy in the world. Hmm. Nobody saw the asshole except yes. Allie, right? Great. I didn't even see the asshole. Right. 
right? Yeah. <laughs> makes her feel, which makes her feel crazy, which makes her feel alone. Um, yeah. all, all the more because she sees everybody buying into something that she feels like is not true. And so yeah. in, in my book, I call that category, the unaware fool. Um, yeah. there's a, there's a spectrum of an abuser. Um, mm-hmm. One is the unaware fool. And that's the common, you know, what you just described, where our unawareness leads to abusive behavior. Um, our yes. unawareness uh, leads to this foolishness that leads to abusing people that we love. And it doesn't come yeah. out of this dark, narcissistic um, place, and yet mm-hmm. you still do harm. But the other yes. side of that spectrum, which, you know, I've only seen a few um, in my practice working with abusive men is the narcissistic coward. And that is this extreme, extreme um, narcissism where this type of abuser is a dangerous man. A few times I've thought I was going to get killed in the parking lot. I had to take my family and move my family away from the night because I thought this guy was going to come back and kill us. You know, those are the type of men that are on this other extreme that are much more rare and seldom actually change. And they actually use therapy as just another way to weaponize um, therapy terms to get out of it. Right. And they're brilliant. And yeah, I don't enjoy working with them as much as I enjoy working with the unaware fool because that Mm -hmm. they actually change. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you brought up an important word that is thrown around a lot. And I think I'm happy to have our, our listeners hear your thoughts on it. Uh, Narcissism is an actual thing. It is an (laughs) actual thing. And yet it is thrown around for anybody who is an unaware fool or, Who acts a little selfish? Oh, they're a narcissist. Exactly. Which, exactly. which that's, that's why I wanted to create some type of spectrum of like we've got to language this. You know, we got to language this more uh, better because everyone's not yeah. a narcissist. Everyone's you know not an abuser, right? I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I find my work a lot in the intersection of domestic abuse and sexual abuse recovery, and there's just a lot of intersections there that don't have good language to how mm-hmm. to define define what we're experiencing here on the front lines. Um, but, but everyone's not an abuser. Everyone's not a narcissist, but, but they are experiencing something that s- smells like it. It smells like narcissism, right? It, it is abusive in a, in a very subtle way. way. Um, but mm-hmm. all abusers aren't, aren't the same, right? There, there is yeah. difference and we can't just paint everyone with a broad brush. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think those can be scary words that I can be, yeah. I can yes. be hurtful and you can, say you're you're being really hurtful towards your spouse your kids and that can start to feel unsafe if that is oh i'm abusing them oh wait a minute i'm not hitting them i'm not screaming at them so understanding that spectrum in some ways for me it makes it feel safer to engage my behaviors that are hurting people exactly and there's been so many years of minimizing you know porn use yeah it's a lesson lust issue. And I'm, I'm come from the camp of, no, we actually na- we need to name porn use as an abuse issue, right? Mm-hmm. We are abusing women. We are objectifying them. We are betraying our partner. And so in mm-hmm. that way, we are abusive in our porn yes. use. A- and yet that is not the final definition of who I am. Um, it mm-hmm. is what I'm participating in and I need to name it and own it so I can move beyond it. I need to befriend yeah. it. I need to, those terms, I need to name them, um, own them so I can no longer live into them. Uh, I'll tell you where I'm, uh, I'm so glad that you're working on the language and I hope we can expand our understanding of this so that we can see the subtleties and the differences. My experience is, I suppose on very rare occasions, I've seen guys come into Samson who are there strictly in order to get some credibility, to buy some cover, uh, to in order to convince a therapist or a partner that they're working on this thing and they're taking seriously, and really nothing is changing. Yep. Uh, and those are heartbreaking situations, however, very rare. What I have seen with increasing frequency, and this causes me distress, is women, uh, wives of guys who are engaged in pornography uh, or uh, you know sexual infidelity. Uh, guys who are going down this road and they are, they're the unaware fool, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they get into therapy or they get into, you know, a circle of other women exper- who have experienced similar abuse. And suddenly their husband becomes this irredeemable, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yes. uh, you know, abuser. Yes. And in order to save their life and save their marriage, they're going to have to 
you know, uh, erase any chance of reconciliation or change, not believe anything he ever says ever. Right, right, right. Right, right. Yeah, totally. I, I hear what you're saying. And so how, how I language this is it's like you are driving the car and mm-hmm. you uh, were driving irresponsibly uh, as a porn user and you crashed right. the car of your relationship. Your right. wife has, has whiplash. She yeah. has a she has a broken leg. Yeah. Um, you you did this because you were driving irresponsibly because yes. of your deceptive sexuality. You crashed the car. Yeah. So now now what? So yeah. when you get back in the car, are you going to say, "Hey, babe, why, like everything's fine. I'm not using. Why, why aren't like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why yeah. Are right, you right, right. I get the driver's seat, right? Like, yeah. Of course she's going to be scared. It's called PTSD, right? Yeah, it's called absolutely. Yeah. So now we've got to learn how to navigate. Okay. What do you do with a traumatized spouse that you harmed? And that's where it becomes incredibly difficult, incredibly nuanced because you're dealing with these intense triggers that Mm -hmm. you caused, right? That you Mm -hmm. harmed. And yet it is possible to navigate those, but you have to be so wise. Um, How I language it in the book is you remember those old Kung Fu movies, right? Where, where, you know, somebody's, Pounding and punching his fat, and, and the kung fu masters just slowly. He doesn't even break a sweat. He doesn't break a yeah. sweat. The other person's you know punching as hard as they can. That's what I'm talking about. Will you become a kung fu master? Mm-hmm. Will you, become- listeners? Yes, I will. I want to inform you that right now Andrew's doing a lot of hand gestures that you are not privy to, but they're all <laughs> kung fu ish. Exactly. Okay. Nail it. Continue, Andrew. Nail it. Yeah, yep. yeah. So will you dodge those blows, right? Will you become a master, um, a ninja, so she can rail, so she can, because yeah. she needs to be angry. She needs to rage. Yeah. She, you, have, you have crashed the car. You have betrayed her. You have abused her. You have harmed her. And yet, we can become centered. We can become yeah. strong and rooted. And we can mm-hmm. learn to be men of integrity and no yeah. longer harm and drive safe. Learn how to drive safe. Yeah. But she yeah. is going okay. to go through a season of immense rage. Yes. You just said something that I don't think of of all the times we've had versions of this conversation. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say this. Nate, you can tell me if I'm wrong. Usually, most guys that I've talked to who are in that position feel like, I did this, I hurt her, so for this season, I need to just take the shots. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, no, she needs to have space to deliver the shots. But hey, mm-hmm. buddy, you should probably learn how to not take it square in the face. There's right. ways for you to protect your heart yes. and still give her space. Exactly. Be a kung fu master at not exactly. making this become a if, shameful place for you. That's amazing. You, exactly. If you have self-contempt and shame, right? Self-hatred. Yeah. Um, right, you're yeah. going to take those hits and you're going to, in sense, embody them. Um, self-hatred and shame do not lead to transformation. Um, it actually just leads to deeper addiction, deeper, deeper engagement with darkness. And so what I'm advocating for is to keep your center, um, to, to be with her, be with her pain without being insecure, without being triggered yourself, um, yeah. without taking it so personally and just knowing like, yeah, um, I bet, I bet you're, you're struggling yeah. to trust me again. I betrayed your trust for 15 years of our marriage. Yeah, um, yeah. let me know how I can be with you. Um, yeah. if you need to rage, I'm here, right? That's yeah. the type of engagement that I'm talking about becoming a good and safe man after infidelity, after betrayal. So yeah. at what yeah. point, I mean, we're, we're talking deep weeds nuance at this point. At what point does a spouse's response start to become abusive in itself where, mm-hmm where the spouse that's taking those shots has to say, okay, something's got to change with this. Cause I I've sure. been with couples that are seven years down the road right. and there's still a wife that occasionally is yep. physically getting into it and yep. is just brutal. Right. So where's that line? Yeah. Obviously yeah. So you can't it's, answer it's for Yeah. It's different obviously for each couple. And yet both couples need to be doing their work of healing, right? It's right. not just the, and this sucks because I hear from so many women, wait, why do I have to you know, uh-huh, lead yeah. to my crucifixion? And, and that's the, the problem is that when, when this type of, you know, kind of a stick in the spoke of your family system uh, of addiction gets exposed, everybody gets traumatized. Everybody gets impacted and everybody's being invited 
um, into their crucifixion. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's where we work first. You know, if there's a, a couple that comes to us and there's active addiction, we don't, we don't work with those couples, right? We mm-hmm. have to work with men individually, come to our men's groups, come to the individual intensives. Only when there is lengthy sobriety do we then begin to step into the couple's work because couple's work without um, actually dealing with core addiction can actually be quite damaging, um, specifically to betrayed partners. Um, Mm -hmm. So there has to be some level of sobriety and integrity first for them to begin to rebuild a marriage. And so what we encourage couples to do is actually bury their marriage is actually we have funerals for marriages all the time. Um, and wow. we, yeah, we do rituals and, and, and funerals all the time um, where we actually bury rings, where we, uh-huh. whether that leads to actual divorce or just a symbolic divorce, where then we begin to build something new. We have a, mm-hmm. a new ceremony, a new wedding ceremony, and we actually need to begin a new marriage. And so yeah. how, how we visualize it is however long, You've been married. That's the type of, that's the child you had. So if you were married 12 years, do you have a 12 year old? What is the health of that 12 year old? And normally it's been through neglect. Normally they come to us in a coma, right? And, and so what do we do to tend to this 12 year old? Um, and, and do we need to pull the plug? And sometimes we do. Um, mm-hmm. so marriage isn't this, um, idolatry. It's actually what is the, the health, um, of this, of this child? And what do we do to care for them? And that's where mm-hmm. we begin to, to reclaim. And we call out both sides when when the new marriage is not being built, when it's when it's based in traumatized state rather than this new life. Yeah. Now, some folks enter into couples work hoping that will deal with their addiction issues. And so what you said is is pretty huge that we don't do the couples where it can be more harmful to do couples work if you're still in active addiction. Exactly. So will you unpack that for those folks that feel like I need to get in there and start working on my marriage? And you're kind of like, no, please don't. You yeah. need to work on yourself for a moment. Exactly. Exactly. No, you got to come with a baseline, uh, a baseline of healing for, for marriages because so much projection, right? Where you project it on your partner, it's the partner's fault rather than dealing with mm-hmm. your own wounds first, Right. We sexualize and we eroticize our own wounding, right? So that's the oh, core. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. You know? All right. Yeah. So we eroticize our wounds. So if you don't deal with your woundedness first, you're going to constantly blame, gaslight your partner. You're going to constantly harm them. And sadly, there's not enough trained, good therapists out there that might not catch you right in mm-hmm. that. And they'll, they might buy into it. Well, you just need to have more sex lady. You just need to give them, you just need to read your Bible, whatever it is, it's terrible advice. Um, rather than actually we got to deal with your wounding first. So uh, a couple months ago in one of our men's groups, we have a a bed in here and uh, we lay the man down and he reenacts his rape, um, you know, on the bed as he's screaming full, full, as he's going through the scene. And I have all the other men in the group, hold him down on the bed, right? Incredibly scary, incredibly traumatizing. But we have to do that. We have to enter into his wound because that's what's causing him currently to be an asshole to his spouse. That's what's causing Mm -hmm. him to be addicted is this unprocessed wound. So we have to go right to the heart of the death. We have to go right to the heart of the child tragedy of his childhood rape. And we have to reenact it. We have to enter it. So I'm down on the ground whispering into his ear how to reclaim his power, how to reclaim um, his strength in the face of this deepest death where yeah. evil stole from him and marked him. And that is the work that stops the trajectory of future harm, future abuse, future porn addiction. That's what we have to do. And sadly, the church, many folks in this space are not doing that type of core work that we have to do to stop what's happening again and again. We reenact traumas that are always unprocessed. If I can rewind a second, very early in this interview, you described yourself as an abuse survivor and mm-hmm. a survive and a recovering abuser. Correct. And what I think I heard you say was that back then, without help, without assistance, looking for some kind of resolution to that childhood trauma, you right. were reenacting. Exactly. We reenact right. our unprocessed wounds, right? So for me, it was women. Right. So how many women could I be with? How many women could I seduce to make me feel good and less insecure? 
right? So right. in that, it's all about my pleasure. So it didn't right. just start with porn, but I developed a pornographic style of relating where I related to the world pornographically. And I began yeah. to take what, what was mine, what porn taught mm-hmm. me as a 13 year old, um, which was taking beauty, taking from women, um, yeah. rather than sharing, um, right. I became an abuser in that way. I hear you. Okay. So some of our listeners might be like hearing you talk about this experience with holding the guy down, him reenacting, and it, it could sound very uh, terrifying. Like, who is this guy and what are they doing? It is. Uh, What is is this gestalt madness that's going on? Yes. But I I will say when you're telling that story, Nate and I were a part of a a group where we got to experience witness and experience that same thing. Sure. Yeah. And I remember talking to uh, another man who was a therapist that had been there Mm. And about six months later, it was still like so fresh and always in my head. Like I was always thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And I said, man, you know what the difference about that experience was? It's like a car crash. Like the experience, the healing experience was traumatic in itself. Mm. And it was like when I crashed on a motorcycle and for at least two weeks at night, every time I closed my eyes to sleep, I would I couldn't help but go right back to yeah. that crash. Yeah. And so it's odd that he, there is a version of healing that comes with a, a trauma and all the negative aspects of trauma, which is how it sticks in your head, can also come from the healing side. Yes. I mean, you can, you can incredibly be re-traumatized as well, right? You have to have a wise guide who has gone before you to walk you through yes. this because this work is so, in, in a sense, dangerous. Right. Like yeah, we're, we're walking this fine line. Um, and, and yet to me, this is where we fight evil. This is where this is, this is the front. I feel yeah. like every day I'm on the front lines of fighting good and evil. Um, mm-hmm. because it, it is such a, a dicey, scary path. Um, and yet it has to be done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But listeners do take note. Do not have someone do this with you just because they're your buddy <laughs> and they want to play with a Ouija board at your sleepover. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Licensed, do not do this at home. Yeah, yeah. Licensed therapist. I'm a licensed therapist. I'm a supervisor. Do not try that. I mean, I've literally had, yeah, folks, you know, in the church be like, yeah, let's do some of this, you know, some of this work. And, and this is when I was a kid. I was like, oh, it was so damaging because he yeah. had no idea what he was doing. And I just kept going deeper, deeper, ripping my own, you know, filleting myself. And he had no idea what to do it. Our stories are pearls. Do not cast your pearls before swine. Yeah. Do not. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Wow. So you do intensives, and is this kind of work? What What does an intensive with you and your team look like? Yeah, so we do, um, as maybe you could tell, I'm a fairly intense dude, and so I like, I like intense things. And so um, we do 14, 16 hours in a few days, and so we'll, we'll just kind of immerse ourselves in this work and kind of dive in to the deepest shame of our lives, the deepest um, heartache and traumas of our lives and kind of run right towards it. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 love <laughs> I, I love an invitation that's not inviting at all. So this is what we're going to do. <laughs> You're going to pay me a lot of money to do that. Yeah. Right? So, what, what, yeah. yeah what, I, what I like about this, I, there are two elements to this that I absolutely love. One is that you have kind of this unfiltered curiosity. There isn't any question you're not going to ask or any door you're not going to open. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and there's also fearlessness rooted in faith because you have a deep conviction yes. that if we will go toward the evil, yes, that, that good is greater than evil, that Amen. we can defeat the darkness, that Amen. healing can happen. And yes. we just have to harness our reticence, put on our big boy pants, Get yes. our brothers and sisters beside us. Attack this thing collectively. Yes. Trust that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And the no doubt. Christ is going to bring healing. Okay. Yeah. Well said. When, when, when we confront our death, what do we have to be scared of? Right? Like, mm-hmm. like I have suffered immensely. Right? I have held my lifeless child in my arms. Like, tell me what else do I have to be afraid of? Right? Like, I face the deepest pain possible in yes. this world. Um, when we, when we develop that type of resilience, it's like, come on, Satan, like, come on, like I'm coming at you because I've literally survived the deepest heartaches. 
And I've yeah. done it with integrity and grief and sorrow, and I'm still alive. Um, yeah. That's the type of courage that I want to help create. And with, you know, the men that I'm working with, um, that like that's in this community, you know, I've met so many folks like you all over the years that are in this space and it's like working together to, to fight for something bigger than ourselves mm -hmm. and integrity and good and safe men. Mm -hmm. You've recently Boy. written about another, uh, you know, like the current great heartache that you're facing. You're talking about, uh, you know, caring for your mom and watching mm -hmm. this kind of this horrendous Yes. you know, slow motion death uh, for yes. those of our listeners who haven't uh, had the privilege of reading what you've written. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Uh, as an older guy, this really hits me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's a new, a new thing in, in my life and I try to, you know, honor what I'm experiencing. And so taking care of my mom, um, who's uh, been diagnosed with Alzheimer's for the last three years and uh, kind of on and off. I'm, I'm no longer her primary caretaker. Um, but yeah, that's been such a weird death where losing my mm -hmm. father about three years ago, um, going through that death. And this is such a different type of death where her body mm -hmm. is fine and yet the death of her brain. And, mm -hmm. and so anytime that we suffer, we have to honor it, right? Cause we have to grieve to the level in which we love. And I love my mom. Oh, <laughs> I, I we have to mom. grieve to the level in which we love. And for a guy who's scared of, you know, I keep getting invited into grief and I am not a practiced griever. Mm. And yet I know that is the route to healing. Yes. What, a, what, what a profound line. We have to grieve to the level of our love. I'm sorry. Right. Go ahead. It's the only way to honor it. Right. And so you can check out um, our, our book or we have a, a documentary film called A Brave Lament about the death of our son. Um, mm -hmm. And that's where we learned those those, you know, how to grieve to that level. Um, so mm -hmm. this is the only way to honor, it's the only way to actually come out the other side, semi-functional human being is mm -hmm. if you, right. I mean, I think the, the diagnosed DSM says you're allowed to grieve for like six weeks or something before it's <laughs> diagnosed. Is that? Yeah. Like, really? You know, <laughs> diagnosed as depression, if it's more than six weeks, it's just like, it's so yeah. stupid, you know, and yeah. the church even does it worse. Well, he's in heaven, you know, amen, yeah. bro. Like you're, yeah. you're good. You know, why are you crying? And yeah. you know, another story my, my sister um, in law died of cancer uh, very quickly. And I'm at her funeral um, speaking about, you know, a poem about uh, from, from Rumi about how grief is the doorway to God. And the mm -hmm. pastor gets up right after me and says, well, she's in heaven. Let's all celebrate. Or, you know, it's like the most, I'm just, I just start screaming louder, like in the, you know, cause no one else is screaming like grief. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, damn this. I'm just going to cry louder. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it's the opposite of, of honor is shoving grief down. And I think grief is the doorway to God and it's the doorway to healing. Um, and that's, yeah. And so that's true about my mom. It's true about other losses that I've had in yeah. my life. Why do you think, I mean, you're going from something very personal and I'm about to ask a more of a culture of Christian question. Sure. Do you have more to say about that? Because I don't want to cut you off. No, I, I, I could talk for hours. We might have to do this again another day. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I, I want to do it later on. Let's just bookmark this later on. Andrew, I want to have you back because I want to have a whole episode on grief. And I yes. want that for, for very personal reasons. Okay, go it. ahead and ask your uh, higher well, level, more theoretical, uh, cultural question there. Aaron. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm picturing that funeral where they're trying to skip the grief and go right to the celebration. Yes. I'm picturing the funeral of a friend of ours son that they had tons of people and like five people came to Christ. And so afterwards that was the, yeah. that was the purpose of the child's death hmm. was that, well, but these people came and it's like, really? So God just killed that six year old. So those people could become Christians. Ugh. I was so enraged, but it gave people a way to skip over grief and go to the hope part. Exactly. Because yeah. we don't, we, we want the resurrection without the crucifixion, right? So when yeah. most other cultures throughout history have mm -hmm. had a process and it has been a very physical one, oh, yes. why, when and why did we lose this? Is this the Victorian era where dead bodies were not put in the house for people to look at anymore? Right. And right. so death was removed? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's such a great question. And I'm no historian. 
And yet I've definitely been intrigued by other de- uh, cultures, death, death rituals. And, and I've been reading about it and, you know, it's just fascinating what other, you know, in Indonesia, literally having the body, the bones in the house for seven years um, and they take it out you know, take, take out the body and, and put hats on it for birthdays. And, you know, they, they, they <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, they, in, 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 Indonesia's got some weird shit going on. There's all sorts of, there's all sorts of fascinating, you know, rituals, but I'm just like, what have we done with death? We literally try to run from it. We yeah. run from it, which is classic yeah. in American, you know, American culture, classic in Christian culture rather than engage it, rather than face yes. it. So when my father dies, a um, really tragic story of a pastor who ends up being an addict and infidelity and, you know, loses, loses everything to his sexual addictions. And basically he dies and my siblings, you know, are like, what do we do? What, you know? And I'm like, I have to see his body. Like my siblings don't want to do that. So I'm like, okay, well I'll pay for the cremate. I mean, I'll pay to have him embalmed or, so I pay 450 bucks and I fly down there and it's just me and him in a room. Mm-hmm. Um, and why do I need to do that? Why do I have to face my father? I had to face his lifeless body. I had to talk to him. I had to tell the truth. Um, and, I, yeah. and I was able to tell it while he was alive as well. Uh, but I needed to face his death in a really yeah. real way. I needed to touch him. Yeah. Um, my wife, you know, comes with me and she sat in the back and, and then I had her leave at one point. I had her come back to sing to him. You know, it's just like this weird thing. Um, and the funeral director is just like super awkward. And, you know, I'm just like, yeah. wait, even the funeral director who's supposed to be good at death has no idea how to engage death. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's what I'm talking about. Can we have the courage to face death head on and, and then deal with what comes up. So I am yes. screaming, I am wailing, you know, by myself in this weird funeral home. Um, but I, I'm doing the work I need to do so it doesn't come back to haunt me. So it doesn't come back. You know, I was addicted to porn for 13 years um, as mm-hmm. a, a young a teenager, young adult, you know, so it doesn't come back in addiction. So it doesn't come back in other ways. I have to do it well now with integrity so it doesn't come back to haunt me later. Mm-hmm. Well, as we come to the end, uh, regrettably, toward the end of this conversation, I feel like we could talk for hours, Andrew. I want to bring it back around. We're on this theme of death, crucifixion, and you're telling us. Uh, so we have an audience that has been the large percentage of our audience uh, impacted by uh, a, a sexual addiction of one kind or another, yes. uh, whether personally or relationally. And you're saying, if I am hearing you correctly, that the path to healing and the path to resurrection, the path to a new life, perhaps the path to a new marriage goes through Calvary. It goes through crucifixion and goes through death. Can you, in a way that doesn't sound absolutely repulsive, (laughs) can you invite us into death as a Christian man? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, It's worth it. Right, it's worth it. the The suffering is worth it. Mm. Um, there, there's nothing good that can come without some sort of suffering, right? Mm. And, and so, it, uh, resurrection is well worth the high cost of your blood. Um, will you follow Christ truly, not just yeah. by word, but yeah. by action? And will you step on your own cross? Will you bleed? Yeah. Will you yeah. suffer so that we can rise again? So that we can mm. step into um, this work and helping other men. Um, it, it, cause we, we need this. We have a, a masculinity crisis. We, we, yeah. um, you know, we have to do something different uh, and, and it's worth it. It's worth it. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, mm-hmm. ah, there Amen. it is. All right. Well, uh, listeners stay with us. Uh, we'll be back in a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Boy, I have enjoyed talking to fellows who have learned from and found their own kind of path through the Dan Allender therapy yeah. storytelling. Like it's it's been really fun to talk to these guys. And enlightening. We're having conversations these days that, uh, you know, previous generations, my dad, for example, my grandfather never had the privilege of having these kinds of conversations or pursuing uh, healing in the ways that we can today. We are blessed, my friend. We are blessed. We are. And we would be even more blessed. Bless, blessings upon blessings. <laughs> <laughs> if... You all would write us, tell us your thoughts, tell us questions, things you want uh, to talk about on the air. We missed that. So uh, send us a note at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com and let us talk about the things you're thinking, experiencing, or questions you have. Good all times. Right. Okay. I guess that's a wrap for this week, Aaron. It's been good as always. We'll have to say goodbye for now. Until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pal on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yo. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.